here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Crunching the numbers, thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre, a mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north, which has tennis for everyone. Perfect for coaches and players if you're coming from interstate to train and compete. Close to Melbourne Airport with accommodation available. Find out more at humetennis.com.au. Hello everybody and uh, welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers for the first serve. This is Stephen Huss and I'm here with my mate from California with the funny accent. This is Chris Tonts. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Excited to be on another one. So thanks a lot. Chris, uh, we kind of followed up with our surf plus one and return plus one, which we recommended as a very important statistic and data to track for players at all levels. So I've kind of followed up with that. We've had some conversations around how do we practice more effectively. Some of my research, I found this really interesting research article that I sort of shared some of the details with you and I thought it'd be great to share with the listeners and kind of go through it because it's one thing to have data and statistics at your disposal and to look at them but don't you think or what's your thoughts on then using that and applying it to the way you practice and perhaps even adapting and changing in the way that you you know sort of structure your coaching lessons I think a all of us coaches uh, have a sort of a way we do things, but don't you think that uh, data and statistics should start to drive the practice board a little bit more than it, perhaps it has in the past? Yeah, last week we talked about how important it was first serve return and, and the first shot after. So knowing that, how do we make sure that that's somehow implemented in the in the practice? And I know for me, it's really changed things the way, the way I practice. And even just talking to you, coming up with different ways where we maybe serve first, we definitely don't neglect returns. Or So yeah, it's very challenging to perhaps change the practice, but having it structured so it does kind of simulate the most important part of tennis. I always say if you can't, I always say the two most important shots in tennis are serve and return. I don't care how awesome your forehand looks. If you can't get the ball on the court to start the point, does it really matter? So for me, it's a, it's a big part of practice. Absolutely. And I was going to ask you, when you look around at other people practicing and perhaps the typical lessons, when do uh, the students usually do their serves? I, I was guilty of this too. I, I still am. I got to be honest, uh, but it's usually at the end. It's usually, you know, let's say we're doing a group. There's that's when everyone is talking. It's not very focused, but it's usually, oh boy, we ran out of time. Let's do some serves real quick and then let's get them up and, and then you guys are off. We'll get to this a little later, but it's usually just, you know, serving by yourself with no returner and just kind of sometimes yeah. You put Absolutely. out targets and oh, maybe we'll knock over some targets or something like that, right? That's pretty much how it's done. Yeah, um, like I said, it, like I'll have, uh, this is how I used to do it, two people on the court and then we're both serving and instead of having, hey, why don't you go return some? There's a time and place to, to work on your serve placement, but if you're waiting till the end of practice and you have done no returns, I, I think that's doing a disservice uh, to the players. Let's talk through this uh, research article I found, which pulled out some data from both match play 
and practices. And I want to point out that this was kind of elite level junior players. So not senior professionals, but junior players playing ITF. And they took the match play from the later stages of Grand Slam junior competitions. And then they took the practice footage, which was a 310 hours of practice footage from their elite training that they were doing within their squad. So for me, it's a very big sample size. So it's not just a one-off match or a couple of hours of practice. I think this was a really well done research stuff. And it was done by, I always like to give the credit to who's done it. It's by Krauss, Buzzard, Reed, Pinder, and Farrow. Here are some of the things that I found. So they found that serve and return practices contributed to less than 13% of total practice time. And they found that both skills, the serve and the return, were predominantly practiced in isolation and had less success with execution compared to the match play. So I know that's a bit of a mouthful there, but basically that says that in the match play, the players served closer to the line. They served a better percentage, so they were more effective with their serving than they were in practice when they were serving isolated. It's interesting in the match play, the average rally length in the match play was only 4.3. The longer rallies aren't happening that often, being that the average is only a serve return Turn, first ball after the serve, first ball after the return, and then perhaps a fifth ball. And 29% of the points ended with only a server return, and 60% of all the points that they surveyed, which was thousands of points, so 60% ended in the first four shots. Can I get your reaction to some of those things, Chris? So it sounds like I had mentioned this. It sounds like this study was done in Australia. Now, I could be wrong, but I feel like Australians are kind of like Americans. You get rewarded for big serves. I've heard that comment before. A Spanish guy once said, like, boy, you got all the big servers. That's what we get rewarded for on, on fast, hard courts, especially Southern Cal. So it's just shocking to me that 13% of total practice time was, was serve and return. It, it seems like I know in, in Australia, and we'll go over that in another podcast, how important the first few shots are. Probably one of the fastest slams. So yeah, that one surprises me. Within the 13%, actually about 10% of that was the serve and only 3% of practices made up the return. So to me, that's like you, I'm guilty of not doing enough return work as well, but that's incredible. I mean, only 3% of 310 hours of practice was uh, was done on the return. So that just seems so yeah. small, but I don't think it's atypical. So we're not having a go at all at the people who were practicing here. I think that's pretty no, typical of what of what happens in practice. Wouldn't you agree? I, that's what I said. It's common common here too. And I, I'm just speaking from my own experience. I'm definitely, definitely guilty of that. Sometimes it's hard. You're, you're doing a lesson and it's maybe just educating the parents because they feel like, oh, don't waste time on server returns. They need to hit more ground strokes. So just trying to make them realize how important those two shots are and to try to apply it in a, in a more realistic manner. That's my opinion. The other thing I wanted to, to mention, I wonder how this would, how this study would change if it was done in Spain, where you're predominantly on clay court and maybe there's more of a focus on returns. I'm not sure. I mean, I was at BTT last year. Just tell the uh, listeners what BTT is, Chris. I don't know what that stands for, but it's in Barcelona. It's uh, Francisco Roy runs it, who's Nadal's coach. So I wish I paid attention more to see what they were doing. I, I, I really didn't, but that would be interesting to see if it changes. Uh, if you grow up on clay, if returns, they put more of a premium on returns 
rather than serves. And my guess would be probably, uh, but I could be wrong. I think you're probably right there. I've certainly had that comment from international coaches as well, talking about, you know, predominantly the American players. Oh, geez, all the Americans, they serve so well. You must be so good at teaching the serve and working on the serve. We know that in Spanish culture that it's very well known that they work on the ground strokes and the heart and the legs is a huge mm-hmm. part yeah. of their of their training. Um, and I think in Australia, uh, we do an unbelievable job in Australia of working on an all-court game. I think there, are, if you think about Australian players, pretty much all of them have skill at the net, volleying, slicing. And I agree. I think the serves have gotten better and better over time. But it's interesting how certain countries have their own sort of identity. And I think that America certainly has the identity of being servers. And obviously, the Spanish have that identity of being runners and fitness and being able to, you know, be incredibly consistent. But let me get back to a couple of other things that this research revealed. They talked about how when you know, when you practice, if you serve in isolation or return in isolation, it's nowhere near as effective as if you add a third shot and a fourth shot or even continue and go to match play. One of the things that it said was 13% of serves in practice, so 13% of all serves hit in practice required a third shot, whereas in matches, 60% of the serves you hit require a third shot. And on the returning side, it was 18% of returns required a fourth shot. So that'd be the, you know, the return plus one. Whereas in match play, 61% of the returns required a shot after the return. So clearly there's a pretty big gap and a big difference between the way we practice and we tend to practice in isolation instead of adding a third shot, adding a fourth shot. And then perhaps what we talked about earlier and just playing the whole point out, but not losing your focus and sort of your ability to, to key in on, yes, i got to do well with serve and first ball or return and first ball. So isn't it interesting that, and I'm like you, guilty of this, and how often are we doing serves and a first ball or serves and a, and a plus two and return and a plus one rather than just isolating, hit a return, okay, I'll serve you another one, hit another return, or just serving on its own can be pretty, you can get mindless with that, can't you, And if, if you don't have a game or a specific target. So... This is basically saying that uh, the task representativeness increases if you add a third shot and a fourth shot. Your thoughts, Chris? That shocks me, actually. That really does. And I wonder why that is, because sometimes I feel like if you only had to hit a serve and a first ball, you're not thinking about recovering. And sometimes players get there and then they start moving away. And But it, I guess it just speaks to being more focused when you have to think of an, a, another ball. That one shocks me actually and actually what really surprised me was the fact that when if you serve in isolation so without a ball coming back at you i thought you'd actually serve probably better but you know because when you're playing points or a match they found that the research found that you actually served more accurately and better when you're in a match rather than in isolation and that to me is kind of a concentration thing right like all right, this is important. I've got to hit a good serve. There's a return coming. You know, you're trying to win so badly. Whereas if you've got a basket of balls next to you and you're just serving, I guess it's somewhat natural to kind of ease up a little bit and just be like, all right, well, if I miss this one, I just get another one out of the basket, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Because th- th- I'm telling you, this this one really 
shocks me. But today I, I did, just as a, an example, this, this girl, she sent me a video of her playing. She said, what do you think? And I said, yeah, I really want to help you. And I think maybe you're missing too much or too early. Like you're going for too much. We started with surplus. The whole practice is an hour and a half. We did surplus one, surplus two. Then we did points. Once the points got sloppy, we would drop back down again. She did pretty well, actually. But well, once we started playing points, then it just kind of, it started great. And then she lost focus. So maybe we had to take a break, but I said, let's drop back down. Uh, but there was a clear purpose. Like, I think sometimes in players' heads, when they say serve plus one, it either goes two ways. You, you say, okay, I'm going to hit a winner here, which I always tell players, very tough, very tough. Probably the better your serve is, you're going to, the winners are going to come a little early in the rally. Because if I hit a big serve to you, it's going to come back slow. I'm standing in the middle. You're on a corner. It gets a little easier in the first shot than when the point starts to develop. But I was explaining to her. So that was one is like, okay, it's tough to hit winners. Like if you're, you're good, it's like 20, 24% of points are winners. Now the rest is either unforced or forced. So you, you want to produce the best ball you can with the ball you're given. And the second thing is where it's too unrealistic, where they don't do enough and they say, okay, well, I just need to make this one. So that's the thing that you got to find that right balance where you're producing the best ball given to you and it is realistic. If you're just going to do a plus one, there is some sort of recovery a little bit like you're playing a point. So that's why sometimes to me, like a plus two is a little bit better because at least there's a recovery. Well said. So let's get on to, you've shared some ideas with me about how to practice more effectively and, and just sort of to summarize this research paper that we're talking about, the conclusion was is that serve and return practice is not being done enough. And then the second part, when we say not done enough, remember it made up 13% of the whole practice. And then the second part was it's not done with enough specificity so uh, kind of a one of the key sentences in the article was this one it says considering the aforementioned findings the simple addition of including a returner and requirement for another shot to be hit promote practice behaviors closer to what is expected in competition match play chris you came up with some ideas and shared with me about how we can make practice more effectively because we're saying this is what happens in matches this is what's happening in practice how can we get those two closer together because ultimately whenever we're coaching players kids adults we're not coaching them to be good at a drill or to be able to just do one thing we're coaching them to perform to be able to play matches and to be better in in matches not in practice so give me some ideas about about how you can make practice more effectively. Number one is what you said, practice with a purpose. So I know, let's say I've been coaching 22 years, I think. Honestly, I, I learned so much in just the last three, four years. Typical practice, you, you see like you're just warming up through the middle. If I'm just hitting the U in the middle, I should everything that's in front of the service line to me counts as that's in the net. I mean, you're just trying to keep them off the baseline. Yep. Yeah, because we're just hitting to each other. So that one's one of my pet peeves. And once you're warm, let, let's say, I, I still think one of the greatest things you can do is take time. I think that trumps having power or, or being consistent because I always go to the extreme. If I'm balling at you, I can neutralize your power and I can neutralize your, your speed. So if you're just warming up through the middle, find balls where you can step in the green or the blue or the red or you're inside the court. And, or, and going back too, instead of just the, this is my, my thoughts again, but just the neutral warm up. like you can do the warm up, and it can be 
super productive if, if there's like you're looking for stuff like this. Really good point, Chris. We see players are more than happy to move laterally, right? Or oh, the ball's to the right, I'll move to the right. The ball's to yeah. the left, I'll move to the left. But when the ball's short, they'll just let the ball fall or drop and they'll hit it lower because they're still standing, you know, a foot or two behind the baseline. And when it's deep, they'll pretty much half volley it instead of moving up getting the ball higher so you can do more with it if you're inside the court. And then if the ball comes deep, move back. So I think good players move in and out of the court really well and not just laterally. And that's certainly what you're alluding to. And I just wanted to jump in because I think that's incredibly important and you can do that right from the beginning of practice and it just forms those great habits. And then this is my warm-up again, but and I got this from Jose Aguirre. So whoever I hit with, we're always going to do just in the warm up, and that's maybe 10 minutes. We're going to do some slices. And if they have no drop shot, we're, I'm going to work on the drop shot. So I just hit, I'm standing in the middle. I give them a ground stroke, they hit it back to me. I give them a short ball, and they just run up and drop shot. Just, I mean, these kids are young, and I don't see why you can't develop more skill. You have to have as many tools as possible. The warm up to me, I can get all this done. It can be focused, and we can get in a little slice and get in some taking time or do the X drill where I'm just moving them in and out. Then after that, it's, if I see these kids a lot, and I was guilty of this in the past, is you ask them, like, what are you working on? They'll give you like seven things. How can I be more focused? I like to choose two things, two things we're going to do every day. Maybe it's 20 minutes and then the rest of the practice is built around what your game is. Now, this is more for the elite juniors. Obviously, uh, some of these kids need technical work. You know, they can't make balls or whatever. But and usually I, I will say this, it's returns is a big focus because a lot of these juniors that I work with, they really struggle with that. So just understanding how to return, you know, that'll be one or usually one of them, whatever the other it could be forehand. It could be uh, taking time. It could be. Working my incorporating a more a slice or changing the rhythm with my feet or whatever it is. Sometimes we try to get too many things in and it's, it's not as specific as what these kids really need to work on. So with the player that I travel with, she's pretty focused. And so now we've moved on like serve plus two is a big thing with her and return plus two. Those are uh, extending rallies after that, but try to keep it real focused. What do you think? No, absolutely. I think an important consideration there is, is what you said about not trying to work on everything at once and not trying to put little band-aids on things that come up, but having an overall view and that's something that I think I learned through my time at the at the Federation was, you know, roughly 70% of your practice, work on your strength, work on your game, work on how you're going to play, how you want the points to look. And then it'd take about, you know, 20 to 30% of the practice and work on perhaps two things, like you said, two areas of focus that you want the skill or the power or the movement or whatever it is that you're working on to get better. And and to me, if you're consistent with that practice and you have continuity around that over time, then it will get better. And certainly early in my coaching career, I was guilty of jumping around a bit too much and and working on a little bit of everything and not doing it with enough consistency and continuity to make it better. Great point there. What would you say about in general, you know, we're talking about being good in matches, but you know, how, how many of us are actually doing point play, having match play and how often is it being done? Do you think that that is something that is also underutilized in practice? Absolutely. I, I get it. Some, you know, we have a lot of academies here and sometimes they just don't have the courts. I, I think the business model is more like how many 
how many people can we get in our academy? And that, that's great. I, I understand that. But whenever I work with these kids, I ask them, how much match play are you, are you doing? And, and one girl yesterday said, what do you mean, bump? And I said, no, like actual real match play. And then I just have other students and I try to, like today I said, this, my next student, I said, exchange numbers. You guys can do match play on the weekend. They were the same level, pretty close. So I'm always, I think this is my thoughts. If I had to choose between a lesson or match play, I tell the kids this. I would do match play. You got to be able to figure out how to set points up, how to construct them. And I always go to uh, Leighton Hewitt's son. And I know you've seen him, saw him at Wimbledon. He's playing Mark Knowles' son. And they were battling every day. And boy, the skill these these kids had at age, you know, I think they're like 12, 13. I was jealous that I don't see that enough. <laughs> drop shot, slice, opening the court. I mean, it was just fantastic. But I, I bet those kids will be good because they're doing it live. So th- those are my thoughts. I had to do match play. I would say three days a week minimum, if you can. Sometimes it's hard. What What would you pick? Yeah, I think this comes to something else we spoke about, and you got to understand, you know, where your students are, age and stage. So someone who's younger, ten years old, um, still developing their technique. Obviously, they're going to spend more time on technique and repeating swings and correct swing paths and grips and all that sort of stuff but i think that we're talking more about people who have a bit more of an established technique even before that even when they're young they obviously need to play the game and do match play but i do think it's underutilized and i you know i run a small junior program and and sometimes i do have that feeling of guilt oh we're gonna if we play matches what are the parents going to be thinking when they're watching are they going to be thinking that i'm just you know being lazy and putting them to play but that's where they get the experiences of the serve and return and the exact experiences that they can learn from. And I think that we have to facilitate that more often. So I absolutely believe that we should be playing more matches in practice. And I love how you have that you know, I think you do a really good job of that with uh, Claire Lou, the pro that you work with. I know that she plays a lot in practice, and I think that contributes to her improvement uh, tremendously. Last thing on that is, you know, finding the right balance for the player. I know Claire said five days is too much. And when she grew up at the USCA, it was four days of match play. So she likes three days, but she also wants to have it realistic where it goes to a third set. She plays a third set. So we have to block out that time, which can be tough, but hopefully, and, and the kids sometimes just play one set or two and then they want to be done, but she wants to go the full three to be as realistic as possible. And that helps her, especially at leading up to tournaments. Great point. And I, it's something that players, parents, coaches should realize if a student is going to do well in a tournament, then, you know, have a look. Are they going to have to win four matches, five matches, and they're all best of three matches? So do you ever have a practice week where you actually go through and play? four or five best of three set matches in preparation for that and i would think that the answer is pretty much 99 percent of the time it's no we never do that how can we expect our players to do well in third sets and then back up multiple days after that with playing more matches if we never practice that way so again i think everything that we've talked about today you know came from this this research paper that i've i've registered and it's all about practice design and what are the numbers telling us the research has told us that serve and return isn't being done enough and that we can be more mindful of making the practice court look more like the match court and yes of course there's age and stage so the younger ones won't do it as often and will work more on technique but as soon as you you get some technique ingrained and in there i think that having the practice look a lot more like a match is exactly what we want to be we striving for and i love your ideas around the warm-up getting some skill work in getting some specificity around movement in and out of the court 
Uh, and so for me, this hopefully has been valuable to the listeners around um, how do you design your practice, perhaps reflect on it if you're a coach or a parent, think about it if you're a player, and hopefully some of the numbers that we've given you today uh, can help drive your practice court, make it more specific and improve to your progress as a player. Chris, do you have anything to add here? No, that was fantastic. <laughs> you capped it off well. I, I totally agree. All right. Well, that'll be it for, for this episode of Crunching the Numbers. Thanks so much for joining us. Please uh, continue to check out the first serve on all the socials as well as the website. And uh, thanks for listening to Chris Tons and Stephen Huss. Take care. Bye. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, Read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free, and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.